books, clothes, electronics. Canadians buy almost everything online these days, yet we lag behind other countries when it comes to online grocery shopping. But Montreal-based online grocery company Good Food wants to change that. I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, we're joined by Good Food Chief Executive Jonathan Ferrari. His company, which is known for delivering meal subscription kits, grew 90% last year to 230,000 subscribers and an annual revenue of about $300 million. And while the online grocery market in Canada is just getting started, he believes it could grow to $15 to $30 billion every year. Jonathan joined me to discuss all of this from Montreal. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to kick it off by talking about the meal subscription business concept in general. So what exactly is this and when did it become a thing? Yeah, thanks very much for uh, hosting me today on the show, Emily. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. If we look uh, kind of internationally around the world, the meal subscription business started in kind of the Scandinavian countries about 10 years ago. And the business model made its way into North America probably about about seven or eight years ago. Today, we're actually celebrating Good Food's fifth uh, anniversary. So we're five years into uh, developing the business model in Canada. So the business model is here in Canada. Who is buying this product? What exactly is it for people who might not be familiar? Absolutely. So Good Food and you know a few other companies across North America offer a weekly meal subscription. The base concept is to order recipes online and Good Food will deliver all of the ingredients that you need in just the right quantities for you to cook or prepare the meals at home. So who's buying this? Is this a millennial thing? Is this a downtown thing? Or is this bigger than that? Yeah. So when we started the business, uh, it was myself and and two other co-founders. We were young professionals. I was working in the investment banking group at RBC in Montreal. And the target market that I had in mind was busy professionals, people who, who want to eat well, people who are trying to find ways to eat healthy, to eat delicious food, who don't necessarily want to order takeout every night, but don't have time to, to go grocery shopping or to, to plan out meals for the week. So, so that was the original market that we had in mind, you know, young professionals. And over time, that's evolved to uh, kind of grow with our target market. So we see today, there's a large percentage of our clientele that's actually on our family plan. So there's meals for for four people, so a family of two adults and two kids. And that represents close to 50% of our sales today. That's pretty impressive just to see the sales growth that you have experienced. I know in your latest quarter, you reported 56 million bucks in revenue. How big do you think this meal subscription service market is in Canada? What sort of size are we talking here? On an annualized basis, we're approaching the the $300 million dollar uh, revenue mark. And we figure, you know, that we own about 45% of the market in Canada. I should note that about 90% of our sales today are are in the ready to cook meal space. And the other 10% is coming from some of our emerging categories. And, and what I mean by that is we realized, you know, delivering to 230,000 households across Canada every week, that once we were actually you know, driving a, a box or a delivery to our customer's home, we had the ability within that infrastructure to develop uh, an offering where we could deliver the entire grocery basket to our customers. And so today, that's still a, a small segment of our overall revenue. But if you look at, you know, Good Food 
a year or two down down the road, you know, we would expect that we'll be delivering the entire grocery basket to our customers. So the the meal solution or the ready to cook meals will be really the the differentiator and the reason to to come shop at Good Food. Uh, but we will be able to deliver the entire grocery basket to completely skip shopping at the at the grocery store for that particular week. Now, this trend towards online shopping is obviously something that has been growing around the world. Canadian grocers are starting to pay more attention to this as well. But it it seems like Canada has been lagging a bit behind online groceries when you compare it to other international markets, say in Europe. Why do you think that is? And how much growth do you see the Canadian marketplace having here? It's a, it's a great question. And, you know, I've essentially dedicated my life to, to answering that question. So <laughs> what has prevented us as consumers from being able to access really easy, convenient online grocery shopping? And when we look at certain other markets around the world, like if you look at the online grocery market in the UK, it represents almost 20% of the industry's sales that are done online. So, you know, why has it lagged in Canada? I think it's a situation where the existing players in the grocery industry have a very consolidated market position. And so when there's limited new entrants or, or limited amounts of new competition, usually what happens is innovation slows in the market and consumers tend to not benefit from, from the latest trends. And, and I would say if you look at the size of the industry, there's about $130 billion of groceries that are sold annually in Canada. And there's less than a couple percent of that that are that are currently done in online sales. So if I project, you know, in, in my when I'm speaking with investors or or when I look at the future of the grocery industry in Canada, I would not be surprised to see 10 to 20 percent of the uh, retail grocery market shift online, and that'll represent somewhere between 15 and 30 billion dollars of online sales for for the grocery for the online grocery industry. So we're we're five years into good food, but we're still at the very very early days of online grocery shopping in Canada. I mean, that's a huge number and a huge amount of billions of dollars that uh, you guys are chasing here. Aside from the lack of innovation we've seen in grocery, what do you think is going to encourage consumers to actually make that shift? I mean, it's a fairly big behavioral change. Absolutely. And in our research, when we try to understand what are the reasons why you know 98% of consumers don't do their grocery shopping online today? The three things that come up are the first thing is a price consideration. So thinking that you know either the goods are going to be uh, significantly marked up online or the cost of the delivery is is prohibitive. You know that's something that comes up a lot. The second thing is quality. If the consumer has the perception that what will be in their online grocery delivery is of inferior quality than what they would have picked out on their own in store, they will be unwilling to to commit to an online grocery basket. And then the last piece is habit. You know, we we are we are creatures of habit, you know, whether it's grocery shopping on Saturday morning or Wednesday night, the average Canadian consumer uh, shops about 2.5 times per week at the grocery store. And so it's a highly ingrained habit that is part of our routine. And so how we address those three questions or, or issues, you know, the first one is is trying to use the benefits of online grocery shopping in our cost structure. So try and share the savings 
that we're able to generate by eliminating brick and mortar stores, by redesigning our supply chain to go direct to consumer rather than farm to distribution center to store to consumer and try to unlock some savings for our customers. On the quality side, you know, we've built out infrastructure, technology, and then, you know, best in class customer experience to really make sure that the quality of what we're delivering is the same or better than what a customer would have picked out on their own. And we work directly with 53 farms across the country to source really fresh products. And then in terms of the creating the habit or the routine, that's where, you know, our meal solution subscription model comes in, where we create a really easy format for consumers to spend one minute planning out their week, picking out the meals that they want, and then it automatically gets delivered to their home. I think your distribution is really interesting. We've been we've been talking about distribution a lot at the FP recently. I'm wondering, how is that cost structure when you compare to a more traditional grocer? Obviously, like you said, you don't have those physical stores to create a lot of costs there. But is it more expensive to have to drop these boxes off at everyone's home versus having people come to you? So I would say we have a cost advantage on the brick and mortar stores. Uh, We also have a cost advantage on the amount of waste that our supply chain generates. You know, by the time we're placing orders with our suppliers, we already have really good data and forecasting on exactly what our customers are going to need for the week. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, this is a business of where scale really matters. So today, if you look at, you know, the value of our of our purchasing power versus, you know, a $25 billion grocer, we would lose out on certain SKUs that they have higher purchasing power on. And then I would say the the last piece of it is to make the model of delivery economically viable. We do two other things. One is we are highly automating our fulfillment centers, which gives us an advantage versus a picking in store type model, like an Instacart type model where there's a shopper that will go into the store, manually select all the products you need, and then deliver it to your home. And the second piece is we group all of our grocery delivery orders into trucks that do routes across postal codes and neighborhoods. The the cost advantage that we create there is trying to get as much density as possible on our delivery routes. And so it's kind of like the, the milkman strategy where the more deliveries we can get on any single block, the more profitable that neighborhood or that postal code can become. You mentioned how important scale is. So far, you have 230,000 subscribers, which is a pretty big number. You've been focusing on that revenue growth and growing that subscriber base instead of focusing on profit. I'm wondering about that strategy at a time where investors seem to be taking a closer look at the bottom line. It's this incredible balance. Like, I, I think you make the point perfectly. You know, there's there's this balance that all businesses need to hit between uh, gaining market share, growing the business, thinking about really long-term strategy and how to create, you know, the most competitive, uh, you know, the best competitive position for the business in the long term. And, you know, Good Food is a, is a publicly listed company uh, on the TSX. However, the founders of the business still own a very large block in the business. And so we have this really interesting incentive to think about the business not from one quarter to the next, but really from one year to the next and and over the next decade. So the trade-offs that we think about are 
To generate the economies of scale to be competitive in the grocery industry, we understand that we're still a very small player today. So approaching the $300 million sales mark, we grew 90% year over year. But while doing that, we've also shown that we're able to improve the overall profitability of the business. So over the past four quarters, uh, we've improved our EBITDA margin by about seven points. And we feel that we've found this right balance between uh, growing quickly, gaining market share, but at the same time, we're on track for our longer term EBITDA profitability margin in the kind of 15% range over the longer term. Striking that balance is tough, no matter the industry, especially when you're taking on grocery giants that have been around for a heck of a lot longer than five years. You're also starting to compete with them in some other product lines. I know pre-made meals are this big growth area for more traditional grocery stores. And Good Food has announced plans to get into that type of market and to get into the private label product market as well. And presumably these would be sold in the very grocery stores that you're competing with. I'm wondering if you can walk us through a bit of this strategy. Overall, the strategy was uh, on the meal side, we think the the future of the digital grocery basket revolves around meals rather than individual grocery items. The reason why we think that is it's a much simpler customer experience to think about clicking a couple buttons and having all of your meals you know, ready for the week. And from an operation and distribution perspective, it helps limit the complexity or the amount of items that you need to be stocking. Right. So it's kind of that idea that if you're getting the ingredients delivered, you might as well just get the full meal delivered. Exactly. And so what we've seen is some of our customers are interested in, in receiving the ingredients and cooking the meals on their own. That's the, the vast majority of our business. Some of our customers are interested in uh, certain nights of the week just taking a meal that is fully cooked. Uh, it's restaurant quality, but at a 30% discount to what it would cost you to get it delivered from a restaurant. And you put it in the microwave or put it in the oven and it's ready in just a few minutes for, for yourself and your family. So those are our prepared meals. That's still a small part of the business, but growing very quickly today. And the last piece of the business is uh, all of our grocery essentials. So we've taken the strategy to deliver the rest of the grocery basket through private labels, so good food branded uh, grocery products. And we expect to, to grow from about, we have about 100 of those products available on our website today. And we figure that we can capture 80% of the grocery basket by getting to 4,000 products. So there's quite a bit of growth happening in our, in our new product launches. So the idea is you will sell all of this through your website or, or would you sell it through some traditional grocers? Currently, the plan, we, we have looked at partnering with uh, certain grocery stores. The plan currently is to focus on really the digital grocery basket. And the reason behind that is not that there isn't an opportunity for us to go uh, distribute our meals through brick and mortar retail, but rather we have so many opportunities. There's there's so much organic growth in front of us that we've decided to be very focused in our execution and, and we end up you know, turning down a lot of opportunities. So it might be something we do in the future, but we're laser focused on, on home delivery and, and digital groceries. You guys have some other competitors in the meal kit business, the big one being HelloFresh, the German company that actually bought up a Toronto-based company, Chef's Plate. How much room is there, do you think, for different meal subscription competitors in Canada? Well, one thing that's that's been really interesting is in the Canadian meal subscription market, the top two players, so Good Food and then HelloFresh combined with Chef's Plate own about 80% of the market. So 80% of the market is, is kind of those two players, and then there's 20% that's fragmented. Whereas in the US, the market is made up of hundreds of 
different players that compete for the same customer. And so, so what's been interesting is having a more consolidated market in Canada has allowed the industry to be much healthier from a, a profitability and, and unit economics perspective. And I think both businesses continue to grow in, you know, close to 100% a year. Um, so, so we see that there's a lot of room left to grow, but overall it's been, it's been very healthy to see the, the Canadian industry be more consolidated in the, in the meal business. It's kind of funny when you think about how the consolidation is is good for the real business, almost mirroring the traditional grocery business in that sense. Do you have global growth aspirations? I know HelloFresh, a German company that came here. What what about good food? What are your plans there? We, you know, currently we're we're focused on building the breadth of our offering in Canada. Uh, so, you know, we figure it'll take us a few years to really nicely develop the market in Canada, get our, our, our subscriber base to approach the, the million households across the country, really fill out our full grocery basket so that, you know, Canadians can visit our website and order their full grocery basket. And then, you know, beyond that, I would say um, we would consider international growth only when, you know, our market has become more mature in, in Canada and, and we've demonstrated solid profitability as well in the space. So I would say it's it's uh, it's longer term thinking to to be discussing international expansion. Absolutely. Got to get those those first million customers here in Canada first. So the final topic I want to ask you about is about sustainability. So I've, I've actually tried all of these meal kit companies and I really liked them. Like the recipes are good. The food's good. It's so convenient. But I was really bothered by all the single use plastic. You know, I felt so guilty about it. And I don't think I can be the only one that felt that way. I'm wondering, how does Good Food think about waste and sustainability as you're delivering these products? We approach every single business decision from the point of view of our customer. And so what's important to our customer is inherently important to us. And no matter what it is, we need to figure out how to execute and, and make that happen. And so it became very evident to us that many, many of our customers love the food. Uh, they love the value proposition to be able to, to get a meal delivery to their home at, at you know, less than $11 a meal. But the, you know, the, the common concern was that environmental impact having a lot of friction in, in purchasing habits. And so we approach this from a couple of ways. The first one is at the end of last year, we launched a proprietary reusable packaging. So this is a, a packaging that we developed with a Canadian-based business that essentially replaces the cardboard box, um, insulated liner, and the gel packs that keep the food cold with uh, completely reusable packaging. And so we're able to save about, you know, our objective is to save 12 million pieces of single-use packaging through this uh, reusable packaging that, that we've launched in Eastern Canada now and uh, scaling it to Western Canada this year. That's an, an impressive amount of waste prevention there. Now, it, does that work? You know, you get the box, then you give it back to the delivery guy the next time he comes around? That's exactly right. So as you know, we leave uh, your delivery at your doorstep, whether or not the uh, the customer is home. And so the idea with this reusable box is 
as we're delivering your your latest delivery, we will pick up last week's reusable box. And so that way we seamlessly kind of replenish your your reusable boxes and uh, with each week's delivery. The other thing we're working on is over the next 12 months to reduce the amount of plastic that is contained in the meal kits. So all of the little plastic containers, the recipe bags, reduce that by 50% by replacing it with uh, environmentally friendly materials whether it be uh, compostable or biodegradable materials. So we still have, you know, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of uh, improving our footprint, but these are major initiatives and we're we're really focused on leading our industry in terms of environmental uh, sustainability. So obviously something that both you and your customers are thinking about. Jonathan, one last question before I let you go. What's what's the most popular meal? <laughs> That's a great question. And, you know, are you guys ascending? Are you appealing to different palates, different types of ethnic foods? You know, what what are people ordering? I would say I, I love the question because for the first, I would say, three years in the business, I was tasting every single dish that we were developing before it actually went up on the menu. And I'm just so passionate about food. But I got to the point where on, you know, Friday afternoons, I would be tasting 16 different recipes. And I would get home to my wife and tell her, honey, I know it's Friday night, but I can't go out for dinner. I'm so stuffed for my afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, 16 different meals in one day. So I don't taste them all. But I think what's really popular, all of our fresh pasta dishes are really, really popular. So they're really quick to make and we have these great artisanal fresh pasta makers you know given my italian background you you know where my heart is we also have i would say a lot of the asian dishes do really well also um so we have a ramen soup available on the menu next week that is really really popular so we'll have different bases of soup we'll have really nice fresh ramen noodles you know some mushroom bases really nice umami flavors it's approachable but a little bit different than what you might have made on your own at home Hey, so there you go. We've got um, the Italian and Asian influences making a making a big dent here. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much for chatting with me. That was Good Food CEO Jonathan Ferrari. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business. Thank you, as always, to the Down to Business team, music and production by Bryce Hall and editing by Yudula Hussain. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com.